the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the first weekend college basketball betting recap and first preview of the Sweet 16. Now that we have all 16 teams, I'm Stucky and joining me, my partner in crime. We're back together for tonight's uh, pretty quick episode. Mr. Colin Wilson. What's going on, Colin? What can I say? Uh, my team is the only SEC team that's in the Sweet 16. Uh, I'm just rolling off a uh, Outback Bowl victory. Uh, we're Listen, I, you can tell Arkansas they beat double-digit seeds to get to the Sweet 16. They beat double-digit Oral Roberts to get the Elite Eight. I don't want to hear that tonight. It's all love because on Thursday, I think it all comes crashing down against Gonzaga. Well, yeah, the Hogs are uh, – you can brag a little more than that. They were on the ropes in an ugly one. Uh, I didn't see a lot of that first half. That game was pretty gross. But uh, the SEC, not the most impressive performance from the weekend. Like, you learn a lot about these conferences. The Big 12 I've been extremely impressed with. We just got done watching the TCU throw. Finally, it took us four – it took us into Monday morning. It's Monday morning to get a really thrilling game. Memphis-Gonzaga, also thrilling. I think Memphis got – I mean, they deserve their seed, but they got jobbed having to play. So did Gonzaga. Gonzaga got job, by the way. They got to play like a 14 as a 16. Mm-hmm. And then they had to play a Memphis team, which is probably like a top 10 team um, as an eight. And that game was thrilling. But the Big 12, ACC, look at the ACC, Miami, Carolina, and Duke. After taking all that shit all year, and the, and the Big 10 has been a disappointment once again. You did get Purdue into the Sweet 16, thanks to the help of uh, officials who gave them 45 free throws. And didn't really let Texas have a chance in that one. That was one of the biggest storylines for me. Conferences, some the performance of certain conferences, which you always are going to learn about over the first weekend. And then just from like my own personal wants, needs, and desires for this weekend, the games were awful. A lot of it was officials, so many reviews and charges. And change the, changed the amount of fouls to six, by the way. But we just didn't get really many exciting games. We had Gonzaga, Memphis, um, and then we had TCU, thankfully, because that game was awesome. Matherin just took over late. He hit the three to force overtime. Eddie Lampkin is a monster. Um, I wanted to, I started to root for TCU. I mean, that TCU team is lovable because they're just all-out effort. But uh, those are some of my biggest takeaways. There's not many, like, memorable games to uh, relive, but how about you? What were some of your biggest takeaways? Well, I don't understand why the round of 32 starts off with one game early, then a standalone game. And then finally, you've got all these. It's like college football when we're watching games and like there's nothing on at noon and then everything piles in at seven o'clock and you don't have enough TVs. It kind of felt like that's what the round of 32 was. I was extremely shocked by a couple of things. The Mountain West gone like everywhere. Like you can't bet them in the NIT. You can't bet them in the, in the dance here. Uh, that was a conference that we were all very high on. And there was a BBOC episode where I came on and my whole wager was SEC is going to beat the Big 12 in that one weekend where they faced off against each other. And while the SEC pulled in the big, uh, you know, the winning record when all those teams went head to head, uh, we can see right now the SEC wasn't near as strong as what we thought. And, and North Carolina, 
is maybe for me the hardest team in the world to try and handicap. Like, how are you laying a wager on this team when they look like a top five team? And then sometimes they can look like a team that doesn't deserve to be in this tournament. So uh, there's a few wild cards that are still left in this bracket. Like, uh, I just completely, you don't know how to handicap because you don't know who's going to show up. The fact that St. Peter's is still in this is one of the more amazing stories here. I, I hope they can pull it off. But that is, uh, this is going to be tough sledding against Purdue. But I think St. Peter's is a great story, even though, what, 2% post-game win expectancy against Kentucky? I don't want to uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, there. I think there was some extremely bad refereeing too. For you Iowa fans out there, with the foul at the end on the three, with you know Keegan Murray, everything going on there, I thought Iowa got hosed. I thought this was an extremely bad weekend for officiating. Yeah, it was not great, and the first two games were awesome. Like they weren't calling anything, and uh, that's not what I. Especially like a lot of casual fans are watching. We don't need to see a million fouls. We don't need to see Purdue shoot forty-seven free throws. We don't need to see seventeen reviews. We don't need technicals for hanging on the rim so a kid doesn't split his head open. Like, just stay out of the game. Uh, it's a little ridiculous at times. It was not right, let's, uh, His knees didn't come up, right? He no. was, and then he you see other out. games, like my guy Lampkin was hanging on the rim all kinds. Of, I mean, he was going, why they weren't calling that? Like, stop. It's a turn. Like, let the best players play. Like, we don't need, we don't need Allen for Texas not being able to play. If Baylor and so, North Carolina want to have a UFC matchup against each other, I'd pay pay-per-view for that. I pay 99, 99 bucks to watch uh, North Carolina uh, bake coat and uh, and uh, the Baylor guy uh, with his you know with his hair. I would love to see them go three rounds against each other in the octagon. That was great. So you're not love you're not loving your. We have Gonzaga and by the way, we're gonna have two previews this week, two in depth previews for the Sweet Sixteen. So we won't go too far in depth here. Just kind of wanted to get right. s- stuff up for uh, just quick thoughts, quick reaction, so you guys have something to listen to on Monday morning. But I think Gonzaga, Arkansas is the first game on Thursday. I think Gonzaga minus eight and a half, over under 154 and a half. Did you have any thoughts there initially? Yeah, I've already taken Gonzaga minus eight and a half. It's a number I expect to probably close at 10. Uh, these numbers really float to Ken Palm. No matter if it's the right side or the wrong side, the numbers always float to Ken Palm. So I expect there to be some steam there. But there's really two things at a high level you need to realize. Uh, one, there aren't any really statistical advantages for Arkansas whatsoever. And two, there is a monster discrepancy in height and length here. And if you know what Arkansas wants to do, it's, it's two things. One, attack the rim. Two, get to the free throw line. Well, guess what? Gonzaga's top 25 in free throw rate. Uh, they're number one in the nation protecting the rim. Uh, we Arkansas just doesn't have the depth. They don't have the bench. Chris likes his limits have been limited. Uh, I, I, I love Razorbacks, Wupig Suey. Uh, but uh, this is just going to be an impossible game. And the fact that Gonzaga just has not looked all world, you may get some value here on the number. I think you're going to probably get some value on the number on Arizona. We'll talk about Arizona-Houston. I think the you know the public perception is going to you know just bake for four days with people that just saw these games, and you're probably going to get value on Gonzaga, and you're probably going to get value on Arizona. Yeah, uh, people need to know that uh, TCU is really good. Um, the other game, Michigan-Villanova, interesting game. Michigan, Sweet 16-5. Five years in a row, I believe, uh, for the Wolverines, the, the one team in the Big Ten that has had sustained success in the tournament the past couple of years. Um, Villanova, four-and-a-half-point favorite. And by the way, we didn't get a lot of upsets. We didn't get a lot of craziness, but, like, the matchups now on, like, Thursday specifically, like Arkansas-Gonzaga, Michigan-Villanova, Texas Tech-Duke, Houston-Arizona. Like, come on. That better be good. Might, I, by the, and then again, I might just take – and don't do this, people, but I might just take every dog because we're going to have – I want uh, – 
buzzer beaters. I'm just kidding. Some years you just don't get them. Some years are just boring. Um, Villanova, four and a half point favorite over under 135 and a half. So the question here is, can Villanova really contain Dickinson inside? They have size, but not, you know, not a lot of people have size that can contain Dickinson, but I really worry about Michigan's perimeter defense here against a, just an awesome Villanova offense. It's going to get great shots. It's going to move the ball at an elite level. You know, Michigan looked good against Tennessee, but Tennessee just could not hit an open shot to save their lives. Villanova, they're not going to miss open shots. I mean, they could, but they, they rarely do. So I, I don't know. I, I'm leaning initially towards Nova there, but I'll have to break down some of the other X's and O's. Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, I'm 100% with you on Nova. I saw the four and a half, and now I'm kind of making a decision. I have to do it before we, you and I, you know, call it a night about whether I'm going to decide to money line parlay this or if I'm just going to swallow the points. And when you mentioned the perimeter defense, that's because Villanova, their point distribution says that they love to shoot threes and they're going to shoot a ton of them. But when you get into like shot quality stats where you look if it's a catch and shoot three or whether it's an off the dribble three for Villanova, it's a dribble three and off the dribble three. They're 32nd in the nation. They're 60th in efficiency. And if you look at Michigan, they're 188th in defending the dribble threes. They're actually way better against catch and shoot, but they're not good perimeter defense and they're not going to be able to defend what Villanova wants to do. Um, and the Wolverines are going to have issues defending the the pick and roll that Nova uh, likes to run. So, um, you know, Hunter Dickinson is a factor in this game, but, you know, I think there's enough bigs there to to kind of slow it down. But, yeah, I'm with you. It's it's Nova minus four and a half, or I'll throw them in a money line parlay. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind with Villanova, it's like the, they're like the best free throw shooting team of all time. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they don't miss, and, uh, and in the final two minutes, they never miss. They have guards that are like 90%. So when you're in this range, like, they can extend late. If Michigan's fouling, it's at like three. Like they're going to make two to go to five. Michigan misses, it's going to go to seven. And then, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to cover this number in this range. So keep that in mind with Villanova. Texas Tech, Duke. This will be an interesting narrative game all week. Obviously, we'll hear about Coach K. I don't think Duke is doing much coaching. I don't think Coach K, I should say, is doing much coaching. They're obviously very talented. They're probably top one of the five most talented teams in the country. Their defense is still lacking. Can Texas Tech take advantage of that? I'm not sure Texas Tech's offense is meh, but Duke, they want to get out and transition. They are, are, is their offense going to be able to work here? They have the talent on the outside. They're going to have to hit some shots. Texas Tech was not that impressive today, but pulled away late against Notre Dame. Interesting game here. Anything jump out at the page statistically when you first looked? Well, it looks like tonight, Sunday night, as we're recording, this line's been up for a couple hours, and it looks like uh, one of the books in Jersey that we I would respect line movement. They're already taking some money in on Texas Tech. So, you know. Yeah, they're I, out to like a one-point favorite uh, over under 136 and a half. Yeah, and I leaned on the under on this. And I leaned, when I initially did my thing, I said, well, under 137 is where I want to go. And I think I'm going to have to hop on that because it looks like it's already moving. But, you know, that if you look at Texas Tech, you know, they don't cover against Notre Dame. Uh, and Duke wins by nine over the Spartans. So, you know, there might be a little bit of that narrative going in. Like I said, it's going to be four days until they play this game. So you don't, you're trying to like guess where this public money is going to come in and possibly move it. But the Blue Devils prefer running ISO and cuts and the Red Raiders are second and third respectively in defending those offensive sets. I mean, that is going to shut down Duke completely from an offensive perspective. But then you look at Texas Tech, like, I mean, it's really hard to find good offensive stats for texas tech they prefer to work in the paint just like duke uh and their top 60 yeah, they want to get on the offensive glass but yeah they want to get on the glass they're top 60 and finishing at the rim but the problem is is duke is top 20 in rim protection so for me this is all about 
you know, getting under on that 137. I think that's where Ken Palm is uh, is projecting it. These teams don't go up tempo, and Duke is second in the nation in defensive free throw rate, which means they won't send Texas Tech to the line. I think the under is really the only way I'm going to play. I think it's going to bounce, Stuck. I think the money line is going to bounce, you know, 120 to 120 both ways during the week. Yeah, I would imagine. I don't know. As It doesn't seem like Duke is, like, getting as much love as possible, but they're a lot more talented. Texas Tech's not really a sexy team. Right. I would imagine this ends up being a game where you have sharp money on Texas Tech and then public money on Duke. Um, and it'll be a heavily bet game. So, like, the public money could matter. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think the line's going to stay probably right around here. Uh, I don't mind that under look, though, at first glance. Uh, Arizona-Houston, uh, really fascinating game. I, I mean, Houston-Arizona has the size inside. They looked a little young today. Um, this game will be in San Antonio. For what it's worth, well, I think we'll get decent crowds for both teams. Um, no line out yet for this game. Any initial thoughts? I mean, yeah, I almost had to change up what I was going to talk about. I thought TCU might take that game. We're going to have to talk it about it. It was close. Yeah, Bathroom doesn't close. hit that three. It's the frogs are here. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ken Palm has these teams neck and neck, like second and third in the nation. Like the Houston being seated the way they are is not really, you know, if you went by Ken Palm, that's not what they should be. They're much higher ranked team. And I think. You know, one interesting note is that Arizona's fourth in the nation in offensive average possession, but 256th on defense. So what does that mean? This is going to be a slow grind Houston offense. They're going to keep the pace extremely slow here, and Arizona's going to allow them to keep it slow. And Houston's going to dominate on the offensive glass. You just saw Arizona get all those offensive rebounds and those putback points and just three after three after three from Kerr that couldn't hit. That's not going to happen against Houston. Uh, you know, and, and Arizona's 194th in defensive rebounding. So Houston's going to take, we well, saw TCU get about I mean, TCU and Houston are number one and two. I think they might be tied in offensive rebounding rate. And right. we saw TCU, uh, get, I think Lamp got a 13 offensive rebounds himself. So TCU and Houston are extremely similar in that sense. Like a lot of like dudes and they attack relentlessly on the offensive glass. Yeah, I think it could be an upset brewing. And I mean, Arizona loves transition, but Houston is 16th in defending transition. Uh, Arizona lives on cuts and finishing at the rim, but Houston's defensive numbers are just, you know, outstanding against everything that Arizona wants to do. So, you know, we'll see where this game's going to open up. I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get my eyes on it here. Let me see what number. Yeah. I can't even tell you. I'm, literally just I'm guessing Arizona a couple point, like two and a half. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think, I think Ken Palm makes this like Arizona minus one. So yeah, but Arizona has more, I mean, they did just go to, we'll see what the narrative is, but Houston has no sex appeal for, for right. the lack of a better term. And, and Arizona has all, you know, they have the NBA guys. And so I don't know, you probably, I think you'll see it maybe two, two and a half. Um, and we'll see where the money comes in there. Moving on to Friday, we have a couple teams that not many expected to be here. It's funny. Providence is a four seed and Houston's a five seed. When you look at their little ratings, way different, but Providence looked really good this tournament. They did face like a really soft South Dakota state team. And then a soft Richmond team that I think just ran out of gas. Richmond was one of 22 from three and I think eight of 21 from the line. I think shot quality had it as a Richmond win and they lost by like 30. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Peters, the story of the tournament, the Peacocks run, baby run, Jim, all those people there watching first team from Jersey to make the sweet 16 since 2000. I believe they're playing Purdue. They have an elite rim defender, Casey and Defo, but I don't like how are the refs going to call this, which is massive because Purdue's the highest, besides Wyoming, the highest post offense in the country. They're just going to come in and they're going to dump it in the post. How is this going to be called? Because he is so important inside to everything that they do because they pressure you. They're going to press like to 20, 30% of the time. And Purdue can be pressured into some mistakes here. 
their defense is a little bit vulnerable. But if they're going inside and getting the calls they did tonight, it's a blowout. And then is this where Cinderella's run ends? A lot of times you see these these double-digit seeds that get to the second weekend and they're, they're kind of overmatched. And Purdue, for what it's worth, they're really good in, like against inferior teams. They just tend to blow them out. We saw it against Yale um, because not a lot of teams can ha- have that size inside. Peters does. with They have one really good rim protector. But as we saw tonight, it's pretty easy for that person to get in foul trouble when you can throw both Williams and Edie there. Uh, you know, Kansas hasn't really impressed me that much. Like they, of late, um, they just, they, I mean, they, against Creighton, I know Creighton made a lot of shots, but they, I don't know. There's just something that's off of that team at times. Obviously, really a really talented team. But is this where Providence and Peters run end? Or do you think any of these teams are live either to win or against the spread? Well, I'll start with Peters. I don't think Peters is live. Uh, and I literally took these notes way before it actually happened. I wanted the over in this game immediately. And when you look at St. Peter's and you look at Purdue, it's really the free throw rates in this game. So what you should expect is two offenses that have slow average possession links, but massive rebounding edges on the offensive side. Neither of these teams can have defensive rebounding whatsoever. I think they're 342nd, 344th. They both also have top 40 free throw rates. And I'm saying this as we're coming off a game where Purdue just shot a billion free throws. So um, I think you're going to get Peter's fouls a lot because they're heavy yeah. pressured and aggressive defense. Exactly. And then, and then you've got, you know, Ivy out there. He's probably going to hit all of his free throws. And then, you know, Purdue is second in post-up rate and St. Peter's just going to have a heck of a time with Edie and Williams. And um, you know, the spread, I think Ken Palm projects at 11 ish. I, I just think it's one of those games where Purdue gets them between 10 and 15. And then there's just going to be this battle for them to try to get it within three possessions and they might not be able to do it, but I think there's going to be a lot of stoppage in play. I think there'll be a lot of free throws here. And I think it's a great over opportunity because of offensive rebounding and the second chance points and the free throws, Kansas and Providence. I don't want to sound like a broken record because I hear this from everybody, but this luck factor with Providence, it's just, I mean, if you go by shot quality, Richmond should have won that game by three. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> Kansas has they lost played. by 30. Yeah. And they lost by, yeah, by a ton. I mean, no matter every Providence game I look at, it's like, they shouldn't have won this game. I mean, their post game win total for the season should be like 15 on the year. So, you know, there's plenty of advantages for Kansas here. Um, you know, their top 40 in offensive rebound rate, uh, Providence, you know, they're not very good transition. They're 229th defensively during transition. So I think Kansas is going to try to go a little tempo here. That's and the thing to watch here. Yeah. Providence transition defense. Yeah. A little shaky. And that's when Kansas at, at its best when it can run. And if Providence is hitting shots and Kansas get on transition, they're deadly. And Kansas has a big advantage on the offensive glass. There should be a ton of second chance points, but I feel like I'm repeating what I had in my head when I took them to beat Creighton. Like Creighton should have been hanging around in that game, especially with the ball handlers, the inexperience and the ball handlers coming up in transition. And somehow Creighton was able to hang around and give him a scare. So I think the play is Kansas. You want to get a seven. There's one seven on the board out there right now. The rest are seven and a halves. I don't know if everyone's going to be in on Providence. You think Providence might be a public play here? I don't know. I don't it's I'm I'm in like the world where like we're in like the Twitter world. So a lot of people hate on Providence. Yeah. So like, but I see I see like, oh, they're lucky. So that's what I see. But like a lot most people aren't aren't on like analytics Twitter and, and like most people in the world that are betting, especially this time of the year. Um, I would imagine I don't know, seven and a half. Providence is twenty-four and four. I don't know. I gotta. I gotta mull that one over. The one thing, Providence's Providence's physicality might be able to give Kansas some issues. Like they're a really tough 
senior team. And like Kansas, when they're at their worst, like when they're at their best, they're running because they're so good in transition. But like McCormick is so he's so hit or miss inside. And a lot of it is like he kind of just goes away and hides against like really physical teams inside at times. Yeah. And you know, Providence won't be afraid here. So I don't know. I might look at my Friars again, but I, I got to break down that matchup. The one, but one of the things you mentioned that does scare me is the transition. Um, the final two games, Iowa State, Miami. Miami has looked great. I, I love Miami here, by the way. Um, really? I, I think that, yeah, Iowa State, you know, t- I'll tell you why. Iowa State, you know, I haven't gone deep yet, so I could change my mind, but just my initial reaction is Miami has a ton of ball handlers and they're going to, they can deal with the Iowa State pressure. The ACC, I mean, it just looks great. Um, I love the coaching advantage here Laranega with prep is huge and Iowa State I mean what did they do they beat LSU when Tyrese Hunter is making like a nine threes it's like well he's like a 22 percent shooter and then LSU's like in disarray the whole game then they beat Wisconsin by five 54 to 49 because Chucky Hepburn went down in the first half and Wisconsin can't run offense without him I mean it just became a complete clusterfuck so I don't know I think Miami and the Iowa State offense is still an absolute disaster I think they have length to throw at Brockington, which is basically what you need to do. And you just hope that Gabe Kalsher isn't having one of his nights. So, um, yeah, I kind of lean on Miami here because I think that the main thing is you just can't get, like, pressured by Iowa State because that's, like, they're number one, they're really good at it, right. creating turnovers, forced. But that also leads to a lot of their offense in transition. And I think Miami has the ball handlers to – Kind of not allowed. It sounds like you disagree. Is there something that you see that? Yeah, I, a FanDuel dropped it too, and I threw a nickel on it, and they moved it to one and a half. So I, you know, I I um I saw this game completely different. Maybe I'll 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 dive in a little bit deeper and see if maybe I should get out of this. But the Hurricanes, I think they're going to have to hit every shot in this game because they're a terrible offensive rebounding team, and Iowa State is sixth in defensive rebounds. So if Miami is off, they're not going to score any points, and they're not going to get any second chance. And that offense for Miami, and I know they look great tonight, and I know that they've been hot. Uh, but remember, Auburn, <laughs> they were terrible away from home this year. I'm not surprised that Miami won that game whatsoever. But the offense for Miami is a mix of transition, their first in efficiency. They like to end at the rim. They have mid-range jumpers and isolation sets. But Iowa State has been great at defending all of those except for transition. So I think Miami is going to look to push some tempo here and get their points out of that. But for Iowa State, it's a really simple formula. They only do a couple things well on offense. Uh, They do screens and cuts and mid-range jumpers. That's it. And Miami is 274th in defending mid-range jumpers. So you're going to give me an Iowa State team that is just going to dominate the glass and they shoot mid-range jumpers, which Miami can't defend. I know Miami looked so excellent it looks like they could make a run to the final four and give some people some trouble i know that was a one game sample i'm just saying from a matchup perspective here this is going to be an issue because miami can't defend mid-range jumpers and they're gonna have problems on the glass the one thing that i would just focus on if you want to relook at this game is like iowa state fourth in the nation in turnover percentage on defense so they forced turnovers at a fourth highest rate nationally miami offense number six yeah. The other, and then the other problem for Iowa State is they're 294th on offense in turnovers. So they turn it over a shit ton. Well, Miami also forces turnovers. They're 61st on defense. So I think that that's going to lead to Miami getting out in transition. And I don't think that Iowa State's going to be able to get in transition because Miami takes care of the ball. They have ball handers all over. So uh, those are two sides of the coin. Yep. You can always look at a game from many different angles. Um, and again, we're going to have in-depth previews of all these games during the week. One final game that is to talk about. Curious to get your thoughts on. Uh, this one, you got some... 
some of the, I think this is probably going to be maybe the second or third most talked about game this week, North Carolina, UCLA, UCLA two point favorite here. They're the four seed against Carolina, the eight seed. This is, uh, it's a really intriguing game for many reasons over under 142 and a half because like UCLA is so steady and they're just like a, a weird team because they just thrive making tough shots. They did it against St. Mary's. They just live in the mid range. Like they're the anti-analytics team. Like they're like outside the top 300 in rim rate, outside the top 300 in three point rate. And they just take a bunch of mid range jumpers. But they have a guy, they have a bunch of guys who just make mid range jumpers, right? So they just, you can't look at them and be like, well, this team takes an efficient shots because they do, <laughs> but they make them. Their defense is excellent. They're healthy. They weren't healthy during the year. So their metrics might have been a little suppressed, some of their season long stats. But then you have this Carolina team, you know, with Baycott inside, a team that can shoot. And their peak is like as good as anybody. But we've seen Jekyll and Hyde, and a lot of we've seen them, you know, lose at home to BC. We've seen them get blown out by like just if you look at some of the results, are you getting the good count or the bad count? So, you know, one part of me thinks that okay, a lot of their issues at times are defense and like they just didn't seem locked in. So you can probably assume that they're going to be locked in and in the tournament setting, like you don't have to worry about their defense not showing up, but still a very high variance team based on the results during the year. That I love their peak, but I, I'm not sure I still fully trust them. Um, experience edge here, tournament experience, obviously, is, goes to UCLA. Coaching edge probably as well after this basically same core made a run to the Final Four last year. But from a raw talent perspective, I don't know, probably close, but maybe give the edge to Carolina. Really fascinating game. I got to spend a lot of time on this game because I, I just don't know exactly how it's going to play out. How do you see it? I've already laid two max bets on the money line on UCLA, uh, at least the limits that are here on Sunday night. I, they're going to go up higher, but I'm, I might take another shot on them. And I, I've been a little bit biased on UCLA ever since they were in the final four last year. I love this set of kids that they have between Juzang, Tiger Campbell and, and Jaime Jaquez and what, which Mick Cronin said, uh, if he can walk, he's going to play. So I think having an extra day, not playing till Friday, it's huge because Hawkeyes does. What is the latest word on that? It's just a sprained ankle, right? It looks so just, bad. It's just I a thought sprain. it was an Achilles at first. Yeah, it, they said it's just a sprain, and that if he can walk, he's going to play. And then I think Cronin said something like he's been playing with uh, multiple sprains all year. So it's, I mean, <laughs> it's good to have him. It, it, you know, if he's out there, that's going to help. But I mean, you'll get Jalen Clark or Peyton Watson out there for some additional minutes if he can't. But you know, that's really big for them, especially in the paint. I mean, they'll throw Hawkeyes in there against any center in the country and he'll produce something. I think one of the keys to this game is that Tiger Campbell, and you know what Cronin wants to do. He wants the slowest offensive grind possible. And so you're going to have Tiger Campbell bringing the ball up the court. And this is just a huge contrast in tempo styles. Carolina is near dead last in defensive turnover rate. They're going to allow UCLA just basically walk it up the court with Tiger Campbell, set their offense. They're going to run interior isolation. And that's Jaime Jaquez and Johnny Juzang's thing is mid-range jumpers, which UCLA I think is seventh in frequency and 10th in efficiency. That's all this team is, is, is running ISO mid-range jumpers. Uh, and the Tar Heels do not defend that well whatsoever outside the top 250. And offensively, North Carolina, they like to mix transition, off dribble threes. And UCLA just has better defensive efficiency numbers. But you already spoke to the fact that you can't really go deep analytics on North Carolina. This team is just uh, it's one of those teams where it doesn't fit the mold, right? Where we talk about Army football and you can't put success rate on them. They're just out of the box. Uh, so, you know, I think Jaime Jaquez is the key. If you want to wait to hear, I'm kind of trying to get ahead of the news. I think he's going to play. If he can walk, he's going to play is what Cronin said. So I'm trying to get ahead of it. I think it could jump up to three. Yeah, if he's fully healthy and yeah. like confirm that this line should bump up. Right. So I got ahead of that tonight. 
yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta break it down a little bit more. I would imagine that like Publix probably on UCLA here. I mean UNC, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, like I know UCLA went to the Final Four and is big name, but UNC is like the UNC. Um, so and there's still like a little East Coast bias of the public. I don't know, but I don't think it'll be overwhelmed. But I think that the public might lean to UNC. Um, yeah, the injury news is something to watch. I'm gonna break it down a little more. I don't. I think I, I would lean my my first initial thought without having a strong matchup advantage uh, edge that I was thinking through was that like tournament experience and coaching edge here with, with, you know, with the five days in between games, I think might end up being the difference. So that was my initial thought, but, but you, you we'll don't talk want more bet. about, you don't want yeah. your bet to come down to what, you know, uh, hoping Cody Riley can guard Baycott. Right. I mean, that's yep. the thing that you get scared of you. You want confirmation that Hawkes is, is healthy. And at the same time, you want to get that number before that's announced. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing really well offensively too. Um, yeah. Uh, well, one last thing. What, what needs to happen for your hogs to pull off the upset? Is it as simple as, cause what I think when you need to, when you play Gonzaga, like you can pressure them a little bit. So I think Arkansas needs to do that. They need to turn them over. Um, and then like, they're a different team when Holmgren is not on the court. I think what, one of the keys could be, the charge specialist and a guy who's good around the room, Jalen Williams, they have, they have to get Timmy and or Holmgren in foul trouble. Note also has to stay out of foul trouble. Note, Note yeah. I feel like it's in a lot of foul trouble, right? Yep. Every time I, I keep, he's always, uh, Musselman's always sitting him for the yeah. whole first half. He mm-hmm. can't get in foul trouble early or foul out. And then Jalen Williams has to do his thing. And now obviously I was going to hit some shots, but I think that's the thing to watch. Like Jalen Williams get some charges on like Holmgren, go after home. Like Holmgren is, He's so good defensively. It's like a defensive wizard. But because he's so good, he goes after like every – he tries to block everything and he blocks most of them. You have to get some fouls on them early to do that because then their defense becomes so much – and then, I mean, their offense too, but they they become a more attackable team. But I think that's kind of – some of the variance things that Arkansas needs to work in their favor. Would you agree? Is there anything else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the formula to beat Gonzaga is pretty easy and you kind of named it because JD Note has been in foul trouble multiple games in a row, including back to the SEC tournament. And when that happens, Musselman is just, you know, ripping his hair out and come out of his skull because he has to go dip into a bench that's extremely thin. And he has to look at Chris likes who is from a, I'd say, an efficiency perspective of handling the ball is not the person we want shooting the ball and sometimes can be mistake prone. He can also make explosive plays, but he can also get in trouble. So we need J.D. Note on the court. We need Jalen Williams to be Corey Beck from 1994 and take 100 charges. Uh, And then the one thing where we can hang is that Gonzaga sometimes is defense optional. So we need to get out in transition uh, and, and try to catch Gonzaga, you know, maybe falling asleep. We need Chet not to be on the court. Drew Timmy is not a defensive presence whatsoever. So Jalen Williams posting up at the top of the key and waiting for Adis Tony and Stanley Amude running cuts over the, you know, behind underneath the basket. And Jalen Williams is an excellent passer from the free throw line. He gets, and you have to respect him because he shoots three pointers at about 31%. So really the formula is a stay out of foul trouble. B, get Jalen Williams matched up at the key with Drew Timmy, not Chet Holmgren. If it's Chet, you got to find a way to hit the cutters. And J.D. Note is just going to have to have one of his days. And we have not had a hot J.D. Note shooting day in a long time. So, you know, we'll you could use a 30 from him here. Yeah, we could use a 30 spot. Arkansas top 25 and, you know, in a lot of defensive things that the Zags want to do. Uh, top 10 in transition. Arkansas 27th in post-up D. I don't know what they can do against Chet, though. This is an extremely small team. 
I think Amude and Tony and Jalen Williams play bigger than what they actually are. But I mean, Chet Holmgren is the uh, he's the next KD. So, uh, you know, this this ought to be an interesting game. But that's the formula. All right. That'll do it for us. Just some quick thoughts on the weekend that was and uh, the Sweet 16 matchups. Not a ton of upsets this week. You do have the Cinderella darling in Peters, but <laughs> that also means that you get a lot of power conference top 25 teams in the Sweet 16 going up against each other, which is usually ends up in better games at this point. So I think that's the positive to take out of the weekend. Can't wait to talk about these games more this week. We'll have a couple episodes, um, more info on that to come. And make sure you download Big Bets on Campus, wherever you listen to your podcast. Big Bets on Campus Live, our show, Twitter show. That'll be back later in the week with myself and three men we've as well for every day of the tournament this upcoming weekend. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Thank you.